Hi, this is Rick Soga. I played in the band The Gods and Shock 2. Played guitar for both of those groups from 84 all the way into the 2000s. It was weird because the same girls that were going to see us were also going to see Pantera. So we'd have girls that were, you know, dating Phil was also dating a bass player in my band. The same girl is dating. And did Phil be leaving messages? It sounds like a, like a pit bull was growling on the phone. That wouldn't even be a mess. It would just be a growl because he knew that he was like hanging out with the guy from Shock 2. It, it was just, it was, it was, you know, it was that close. The, the same fans were going across. But while we're playing with doing the whole, you know, glam metal scene and it's, it's happening, it's slowly declining and they're just building. Pantera is just building and building and building. This is Vinyl Analysis. I'm your host, Arch Madness, along with me, producer Greg Hansberry. Now, you heard how some river rats in Marietta, Ohio, discovered Pantera in episode one. But we need to rewind a little bit. I mean, a few years before that, Pantera is in their home state of Texas, developing their sound. So we're going to lean on a cat that we know, a guitar legend. Here in Columbus, Rick Soga. Yeah, Soga is going to be woven throughout the next few yeah. episodes of this podcast. He's really like a, an important thread, a common thread throughout this whole story. It's awesome. And Soga's band, Shock 2, was out in Texas doing the glam thing, while Pantera was on the verge of taking things to a new level. This is Vinyl Analysis, Pantera, Dimebag, and the Al Rosa Villa, A Fan's Journey, Episode 2. A new level. Cowboys wasn't even a thought. We weren't even thinking about it. It was so glam at that point. Rock and roll was so glam. There was like Cinderella, it was Skid Row, it was all these groups. And every time we'd go into club, we'd be the big shot. You know, guitar heroes, it was a guitar hero type period. And I was a guitar player. So it was like, you know, I'd walk into a club, they go, oh, the guy, you know, is a guitar player for so and so. He's a smoking guitar player. And then, and they'd go, this guy over here plays at the basement. This guy Dimebag. You should hear this guy's fucking great. Blah blah. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, you should hear this guy. And then all of a sudden, we started hearing about the numbers of people that were coming out to the basement club. We used to play another club, a rival club. So it was all these hardcore Pantera fans were going to the basement, and we were playing it on the rocks. We'll talk about Dallas. that scene then in Dallas, because, I mean, was, when we when we hear about this stuff, we're thinking, you're thinking L.A., mm-hmm. you, you know, I guess there might have been a little bit of a metal movement in the late 80s in Florida as well, but you're, you're still thinking, you're thinking spandex and everything, which Pantera was wearing, especially in those, the, the Terry Glaze years, yeah, and, and then, The early you know, days, yeah. Yeah, right on. So days. what was the scene like there? Was it that divided? Was Pantera, because they were, they, they were gradually cult, yeah. making that move. Once they got yeah. Phil, they were making that yeah. move. I mean, what was that scene like? It, it was weird, because the same girls that were going to see us were also going to see Pantera. So we'd have girls that were, you know, dating Phil, was also dating a bass player in my band. The same girl is dating, and Phil would be calling. Oh, Jesus, don't tell leaving, Phil. <laughs> leaving, no, Phil would be leaving messages. It sounds like a, like a pit bull was growling on the phone. That wouldn't even be a mess. It would just be a growl because he knew that he was like hanging out with a guy from Shock 2. It, it was just, it was, it was, you know, it was that close. The, the same fans were going across. But we just kind of never really ran into each other and stuff until like, you'd go see the other person play because we were always playing. Right. You know, it, you're gigging, man. You're gigging. So, you know, you're playing here, they're playing there. While we're playing with doing the whole, you know, glam metal scene, and it's it's happening, it's slowly declining, 
And they're just building. Pantera is just building and building and building. And we're you know, trying to keep it going. We ended up securing a record deal. We got this record deal. So we ended up having uh, Marshall Burl uh, was... Marshall Burl was the first person that signed Van Halen, and then his second band that he signed was Rat. Rat, man. It's yeah. Milton's so he, he, nephew. Milton's nephew. So Marshall was like, you guys are my triple crown. You guys are going to be my triple crown. Shock 2 is going to be the band. So he signs us, and and as he's signing us, and we're starting to do a record with uh, with Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, we're starting to do it. We're going to do a record with Tom Werman. We're all set up to do all this stuff. Pantera's getting like just just growing this this it's just growing and growing and then it all of a sudden it was like that album well okay so before the album this comes is 1990 out, so 1989 yeah because yeah, we're looking 90 at, at cowboys we're playing this club in fort worth called joe's garage and uh we're we're playing there we've got the girls we've got the pack it's packed club and all that stuff and then somebody whispers back to me they said hey Dimebag's here. And right, at the, which time, was, at the time, time it was Diamond. At the time it was Diamond. Yeah, it was di- Diamond. Darryl. It was Diamond, yeah. Diamond Daryl. He said, Diamond Daryl's here. I was like, Diamond Daryl's here. He's like, yeah, Diamond Daryl's here. He's out in the audience. And uh, like, his, his brother's here, too. And so we're like going, oh, like, oh, well, what the fuck are they doing here? Like, this is a, like a total another gig. We start going into our songs, and uh, at one point, those guys were back there, like, just dancing. Like, they're just dancing, like, making fun of us. Like, right. you know? <laughs> Like jumping around, like making fun of like pop metal, right? And they're right. making fun of. So I'm just like, just there's a part of me that just wanted to rock so hard, and then but I can't because it's like it's like this pop metal stuff that we're doing, and I'm watching, you know, those guys just drinking and laughing and drinking, and laughing. It's like they just knew that it was it was their, the guard their was time changing. was coming. The guard was changing. Yeah, it was coming, and so I would just we, you know, I just. Got done with, you know, we got done playing the gig and they were there drinking. So I finally went over there. You know, I had to go over there and say hi. You know, say, right. hey, man, blah, blah, blah. Nice guys, you know, very, you know, hey, I heard your band, blah, blah, blah. The set. And I go, hey, they're making fun of us, baby. And they're like, ah, you know, we, blah, blah, blah. Just that was it. Just a quick hello. I just at least wanted to say hi to this. Like I said, at that time, the band that we were all watching was King's X because they were out of Houston and being a, 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 a Texas band. That was the band that was starting to break out, uh, right? And and from yeah, from everything you hear and throughout the history of Pantera, I mean, with Doug Pennick and everything, I mean, they were yeah. that was a that was a tight group. They had a lot of respect for yeah. those guys, yeah. uh, in, in King's oh. X. So there was the roots of Pantera. Back in Texas. Could you imagine uh, seeing Dimebag in spandex? They got the, the pictures. <laughs> it is, we, we, we have to believe it. There, there's pictures to prove it, Hansberry. So let's head back to 1992. And Pantera fans, man, balls deep in Cowboys from Hell, which was their first major label release. At this point, you're beside yourself. I mean, there is no metal record you are anticipating more than this sophomore effort Vulgar display of power. All right, Archie. So it comes out. Yeah. What do you and all your boys do? Well, we go to the mall in West Virginia okay. to get it. And then we bring it back to Ohio and reside in the uh, Hills parking lot. That's where we hung out, man. Okay. It was either the boat ramps or the Hills parking lot. We're in the Hills parking lot. And I got to tell you, Hansberry, when we heard it for the first time, absolutely floored, man. There was nothing. I mean, nothing that we had heard before. That sounded like this. And quite honestly, nothing since has been so groundbreaking in metal. I mean, this was ACDC's Back in Black. You know how it stands alone? Vulgar display of power. 
stands alone just like that. My name is Joe Veers. I'm a producer, engineer for the last 30 years, a musician. Uh, I play bass for a band called Snowblind, and I own Sonic Lounge Recording Studio in Grove City, Ohio. That record is so nasty. The playing, the just the feel of it, it's just literally they're going for the fucking jugular the entire time. And those other bands were no longer making records that sounded like that. They were, they that is raw, unbridled power right there. So now let's meet Joe Veers. A great musician, love his bands. I mean, Snowblind, killer band, you know, YouTube that shit, kids. But he's also one of the most talented and respected music producers out there in the business today. So if I'm going to reference Vulgar Display of Power and what Pantera and their producer, Terry Date, created, it's going to be with Joe. The Great Southern Trend Kill, and I think about Reinventing the Steel, there there were songs on there that I really, really liked. Those last two studio albums, there were songs that I really, really liked. And Far Beyond Driven, I think, is an amazing record. It's a cool record. It's an amazing record. It's Cowboys. Not it's not that. It's not vulgar. None no. of those are vulgar. Mm-hmm. This was this was a moment in in metal time that will never ever be repeated. This was a game changer, Joe. This was a game changer. Totally was. I mean, you listen you listen to the effect that it had on metal. Yeah. Still, I mean, still, still to this still. day, people emulate that style. They're still emulating that style. They made the pattern pretty much with that. Mouth for War. Uh, it, it, as far as opening songs, and we, we talk about it on, on vinyl analysis all the time, that, that opening song to a record and how important it is, uh, nothing gripped me like this. Uh, I think of a, a song like This Love, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's funny, I was playing it before you came in with, uh, with Hansberry, and I was just explaining to him the whole thing and the whole scene and how the floor of the venues and stuff when it would kick you keep this love how it would just and like kicks and in. how i mean that was like the first time where i saw like and i had seen metallica at that point on the justice tour i mean i had, i've been to i'd been to a couple metal shows but nothing quite like seeing pantera and just watch it was like it was like a breathing wow. thing the whole the the wherever the venue was it was always that floor of a pantera show and I remember this love when it would kick in, and that was a love. That was that was their love song. That yep. was their, you know, you know. Talking and it, about uh, killing. Uh, oh, he's like, yeah, it would, yeah. It would, he would say, uh, "I'd kill myself for you. I'd kill you for myself." And as a nineteen or twenty year old kid, deep, I was just man. like, "Dude, this is this is." I mean, we were so angry. We were so Gen Xers growing. We were angry, Hansberry, angry bunch of son of a bitches. Which, and well, and, and which plays into why this struck such a huge chord at the time. Mm-hmm. It, it you know it because those bands, and that's what I, Joe was yeah. saying. I totally agree with you. Yeah. That's yeah. they weren't. It came a point where those guys, the, the the whole Bay Area thrash, they were wanting to. They were starting to want to make a living. Right. They were wanting to, to, to like Joe said, they were wanting to get on the radio. They were going a whole mm-hmm. different other thing. But we, the fans, were still pissed off. We're young. We're poor. We're trying to figure out our lives. And I think that's why Pantera really kind of, uh, well, it drew us in. It drew us in. It was For just, sure. there was an aggression that we had never, ever heard before. Not in Maiden, not in Priest, not in any of that shit, man. Mm-hmm. Not in Motorhead. There's nothing no. that was like this. No, there wasn't. When it came. There was not. How many times did you see him, brother? Oh man, I don't, I lost count. Right, a lot. I my band opened a couple times. Oh, dude, all uh, right, all right. So like now si- side stage stuff, but we're you know on on the 
things they played. And the one time that I actually got to spend some time with them was a few months before uh, the Al Rosa show where Dime was shot. There's a band that I was producing that was doing really well at the time called Undivided, and they were one of the main bands in the lineup. And uh, I, I offered to go hang out, tech guitars, and keep stuff in tune because the sun comes in and it's laying all over your guitars and stuff. So I was tuning guitars, so we're getting our shit together, doing sound check, and the tech guy, guitar tech for Dime, comes up and says, hey, can you guys, like, chill for 15 minutes we got a problem with one of dimes amps we have to sort it out and uh we need the stage for like 15 minutes if you guys can chill and we're like oh man absolutely we'll just hang back here and wait till you're done so they uh dime comes up and he's just standing there and we're talking to him and he's just the coolest dude ever and we're talking about all these anything you can imagine he's like the dude you went to high school with right you know what i mean he's no pretension no any kind of cocky bullshit, just the nicest guy ever. Thank you know, apologizing for having to take away from our time trying to set stuff up. And then uh um Vinny came up and was hanging out. We we're talking to him. Uh it's taken them a minute to get dime shit sorted out. So I'm talking to Vinny about his drums and he's telling me about what how they do it and what you know what's triggered and how, what they're doing. Just a lot of technical shit. Yeah. I was man. asking him questions. And uh, and then Dime did his thing, and they stood there and listened to the band play. And we, the rest of the day, we're there around, we're drinking Crown and and like uh, a, f- a form black, of a black man. <laughs> it was cool, man. I mean, it, it was it was an amazing day, and they sounded incredible. I mean, they were unbelievable. I've never heard anything in my life as loud as his clean guitar sound. It hurt my teeth. <laughs> and I was behind the cabinets. What? Awesome. And I, I literally asked him. I was like, "Do you fucking play that loud? Is that is it? Are you guys just figuring this out, or is that how loud that is?" He goes, "Yeah, it's usually louder than that, but this place is small." What made him so special, man? I don't know. Right? I don't know. I wish I knew. You know what I mean? You wish Ooh, you knew yeah, those kind of it, things. It's, you... But it's just whatever. That guy was born like Eddie Van Halen. I agree. Jimi Hendrix. I agree. Talk about guitar players. And just, there was something going on inside that guy that is, nobody else has. The the best create their own sound, right? Dude, he's... And look, and I love so many of the the carbon copy guys from the 80s. I I love so many of those guys. But there were times where they all, it kind of blended together a little bit. It blended together a little bit. Eddie was different, and then everybody tried to follow Ed. As it has after Dime. First time you saw Pantera? Uh, Al Rosa Villa. Cowboys from Hell. Just being inside the building when that shit was popping off was hair on your arms standing up, and it was just absolutely unreal. So before we even get to the Al Rosa Villa episodes, man, we need to talk about the end of Pantera and the beginning of Damage Plan. Pantera played their last show in August of 2001 in Japan. Uh, the tensions were high in the band for the last few years. Phil's addictions, the all of his side projects, uh, definitely creating wedges in Pantera. On this last extended break, the Abbott brothers decided to move on and form a new band, Damage Plan. Hey, this is Bob Zilla from the band Damage Plan. I remember first meeting uh, Daryl and Vinny. I met, actually, I met Daryl first. He, uh, 
when I first moved, when I moved to Dallas from, from LA, uh, I, st- I joined this, this local band called Hellified Funk Crew. And, uh, it was like me and some guys from Denver and we all met, um, down in Deep Ellum, which is like this, this, it's kind of a place where all the bars and clubs are, you know, within like a six, eight block radius. I started hearing people were telling me Daryl and Vinny are at, are coming to our shows. And being from LA, Pantera wasn't really big there yet when I, by the time I moved there. So I heard of them, but I was like, Daryl and Vinny, who? Like a dumbass, you know, like who? Who's showing up? And it was right. basically a big deal. But they were coming because they were hearing all the, all the, you know, talk about Hellified Punk Crew. And I guess they were, um, you know, interested in doing something with us. Someone, I gave him my phone number, right? And uh, I'm, dri- I'm driving with a friend and I get this call. I'm like, who the hell is this? And he's like, hey, dude, this is, Dar- this is Don Bag Daryl, man. And I'm like, holy shit. You know, I'm like, dude, Daryl's on, Daryl just called me right now. I'm all like freaking out. You know, it's funny. He's like, I'm having a party, you know, at my house, come by. And the guy I'm driving with, a friend of mine, uh, we work together. He's like, dude, if you don't take me, I'm going to kill you. Like, right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, all right, so let's go. Anyways, we go down to his house and uh, he's like, bring your tattoo stuff. I guess he wanted me to tattoo him. So, you know, I was just like tattoo Bob for a while. And he was always inviting me to whatever was going on. And then, we, you know, we started becoming good friends. And that meant becoming a good friend to Daryl meant, you had to put up with all the fucking pranks and, you know, and the party and yeah. the drinking. It's like you had to prepare. Like I had to like mentally and physically prepare, dude, going to his house like, all right, here it is, man. I'm probably going to – like when, when he'd say, you know, come into my house, we'll hang out. Dude, it would be like three to four days later, you know. Wow. Like I would leave. He'd be basically abducted me, and we'd just have fun, man. We'd – you know, just jam, hang out. And then um, in his mind, it's okay to have 15 black teeth in tattoo. When I'm thinking, dude, I can't, man. I, I can't have another shot. He's like, do another shot. Come on, we're having another shot. So I'm telling you, man, I'm like, it was like boot camp. You know? <laughs> Seriously, being his friend was like, you had to go through boot camp. Hey, Zillow, how were you approached to, to join Damage Plan? I mean, did you kind of know there were rumblings of this, this was, this was going to happen? And oh, I mean, oh, yeah, talk, talk yeah. to us how that all came about. Yeah, okay. Uh, so like I said, we, you know, at this point, we were, we were friends, you know, hanging out. I was still just Tattoo Bob, um, but he's like, hey, I'm having a birthday party at this place that's no longer there. It's in Arlington. It was called Division One. Um Cool place, cool, cool metal club, you know, one of the last. Um, uh, but anyways, uh, I started hearing uh, rumors about Damage Plan. Everyone was excited, of course. You know, they had, a, you know, they had some rough demos. And anyways, um, as I was leaving, I'm like, first of all, I was like, what the hell am I going to get this guy? What do you get this guy that pretty much has everything he wants or could have anything, you know, so I got him some prank kits, you know, which he loves. He loves the prank kits. So I bought him a few things like that. And I was leaving. He's like, hey, take this. But don't listen to it until you get home. And uh, I'm like, okay. He's like, don't open it until you get home. So I'm like, all right. So I get, I get to my place, you know, and I have a few friends with me. And I open it up. And he handwritten. He's like, hey, dude, uh, listen to this and uh i really want you to be a part of this welcome to damage plan and i was like holy shit 
you know, and he's like, and he called me like a couple of days later. He said, rehearsal is in a week. So show up. And, <laughs> Dude. Yeah, man. I, I know. I know. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He, uh, and what yeah, was, that's how he did it. And what was it? A know? CD of just the demos that he had been working on with, yeah, with his brother? It was, it was the songs. And he's like, here's like, learn these songs and then show up to rehearsal. Wow. So. Yeah, and I had I had basically honestly I had about seven or eight days to do that to learn the entire album, you know all all the songs, and then I showed up, hammered of course. <laughs> oh yeah, he was. Uh, Vinny wasn't very happy about that. I tell you that, but Daryl Daryl loved it. He loved oh he loved it. He just kind of giggled, but Vinny he's like. You know, because like I said, I was mostly hanging out with Daryl and Vinny. You know, he's a little different, man. He's very not as approachable, you know, as Daryl was. Um, so he was like, the ball's on this guy, really? Is he going to show up drunk to rehearsal? <laughs> uh, but after the first song, man, I, Vinny, I, I kind of looked over over my shoulder, and they were looking at each other, and Vinny was like, all right, all right, okay. You know. No, Now, Zilla, was that... Had you played with them before this, or was this like, nope. was this the moment where you were like, "Holy shit, this, this is was, happening"? This was the moment. This was the, the moment, dude. It, 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 this was the moment I was walking into and playing with the, the brothers for the first time. Subscribe to Vinyl Analysis and listen to our archive episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at QFM96.com. You can also find companion pictures and videos to this special podcast series on our Instagram account and Facebook. And finally, you can listen to our carefully handcrafted companion playlist on Spotify. Search for Archie Vinyl Analysis, where you'll find a playlist of all the songs that we talk about in this podcast series. For Arch Madness, I'm Greg Hansberry. Thank you for listening.